If you have your copy of God's Word, let's go to Romans chapter 12 this morning. I have two chapters uh, to, to teach on as we look at, at uh, this idea of unity. Like seriously, like could we not just teach on something like heaven? Like something that, that's easy? I mean, I mean, unity in a Baptist church? Come on, man. Like, like that's, that's a hard deal, right? And so I thought Matt did, did a, a great job last week um, while, uh, while I was out of town uh, articulating this idea that, that, uh, that when Jesus came, right, the, uh, in uh, was it verse 3 of Romans chapter 10, that Jesus is the end of the law, right, um, for righteousness sake, that no longer do you have, do you have to keep the law. Have you all read the book of Leviticus? Have you read the laws? If you eat pork, you clearly have not read Leviticus. And man, I tell you what, I love pork. I do. I love it. Now we no longer have to keep the law for the purposes of righteousness. Now we have the privilege because of that covenantal relationship that we have with Christ. Not a contractual one. Like it was a contract. Like Jesus in a contractual relationship went to the cross. It is also deeply covenantal. And I thought Matt did a great job um, uh, parsing those two terms out. But now as we move into Romans chapter 12, uh, we're going to enter into this idea of unity. And you know, it's so important that we're going to spend four chapters and two Sundays on this idea of unity. Because church, let me tell you, as, as a pastor, let me tell you what you don't want. You do not want to invite a man and his family to come onto this stage, to be voted on by this church, to lead this church, and you guys not be in lockstep unity. Bad things happen when that happens. I've seen churches that just cannot get their act together. Churches that would rather be right than be holy. I'm telling you, this is, this is not an easy passage, which is why we're going to... I, 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 I tend to employ this idea of don't shoot the messenger, okay? Especially when it comes time to, to preach hard messages. Um, so we're going to read two chapters. I don't normally do this. All right, usually we read our focal passage. Our focal passage today is going to be chapter 12, verses 9 through 16. Uh, but, uh, but I feel like for context, we need to read the entirety of chapters 12 and 13 so we get the idea. Because it's going to hit on this idea of biblical unity, but also in the idea of, of uh, the governing authorities. People that, that God allows to come in. And let me tell you, if you've you lived in our world for the last two and a half years, and I, I most certainly have, um, you realize that... that it, it's hard with certain governing authorities to be able to say, that's my guy. I trust him. I believe him. Nine scariest words you're going to hear in the world is, is we're, I'm, here for, I'm here from the government. I'm here to help you. Right? I don't even know if that was nine words. It, I, I think I mucked it up. But anyway. Um, we're going to read, we're going to read ver or chapters 12 and 13, and we're going, we're going to find a way to leave this place that you're, you're going to leave this place. You're going to go, you're going to go to your life groups. You're going to, to figure out how to live life in biblical unity. And the goal is as we leave today, that we are closer to Jesus and closer to one another as we leave. All right. So this idea that, that it is biblical unity that separates us that separates the church from the rest of the world. All right, I have a limited amount of time and we need to read. So let's start reading in chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. We're gonna start in verse one and we're gonna go until you see 14, okay? He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Wasn't our worship next level today? Man, that's good stuff. I love preaching after good worship. All right, um, 
He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Man, let me tell you, if you're a Baptist, if you're a Southern Baptist in the room, highlight that. Asterisk, underline, and if right now you want to get up and you want to walk out, you're like, I'm not going to listen to this preacher. He said, I'm not humble. That was for you. Okay. He says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not have all the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's one of my mom's favorite verses in all of scripture. She's watching right now. They're coming home from North Carolina today. Um, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. You ever ever thought the IRS is a minister of God? (laughs) Me either. (laughs) Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law, right? So we read last, last week that Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness sake. Now we see that, that love is the actual, for in the New Testament, under grace, in the church age, love is actually the fulfilling of the law. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. All right, here we go. I don't have time to get into all of chapter 13, okay? But chapter 13 speaks to where we are as believers today. Trying to live as a believer in a world that is is not really apostate because the world has never really been of God. Ever since Genesis 3 and going forward, the world has been at enmity with God or has enmity with God. Um, But trying to be a believer living in the world that we live in, especially since COVID-19 came on on the stage and, and we're trying to figure out what is true, what is not. How do we as believers respond to it. All right. And there's a lot of things that come with biblical unity. And what we're going to find is that in chapter 12, it speaks to what biblical unity looks like. These two chapters are full of good stuff. Romans is doctrine. It is the doctrinal stuff. And so for a church that is looking to find and to maintain and to, to keep that biblical unity, because here you are in an interim time and, and you're, you may be wondering like, what's the next pastor going to be like? Is he going to yell at me like Patrick does? Or is he going, you know, what's it going to be like? And sometimes within the void of leadership, this sometimes you got to preach sermons that, that say hard things. But, but sometimes in the void of, of that top leadership, and I was sitting in the pastor's desk uh, today and I was thinking about the next person that would occupy that office. But the fact that he's not here yet means that sometimes when you have people in churches who think they know what's best, they will step into that void of, of leadership and will lead the church, but it may not be a biblical unity. This... This passage speaks to the church when it is unified, when it's in lockstep, when it is praying, when it is seeking God's face, when it lives peaceably with one another. We reflect the gospel to a lost world that has no idea what unity looks like. And so as we reflect on these passages, Paul speaks to three specific things that will promote unity within the church. Because church, if we can't find unity in this room, how are we ever going to find it out there? First thing Paul says is to live authentically. Live authentically. You know what he's saying? Look at verse nine. He says, says, let your love be genuine, right? Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Literally, he says, love the good stuff, hate the bad stuff. In in the Bible, we we don't get as Christians to use the word hate. Like hatred because, because God hated our sin. He sent his, his son Jesus to pay for our sin so he didn't have to hate us. That's literally what it is. But yet that word abhor literally means, literally means to hate. Love what is genuine, hate what is evil. Church, that should be, that is the mantra of the church. 
We love to come up with these fun uh, sayings that, you know, whether we're a family of friends or we're a family for your family or we're this or that or whatever it happens to be. You know what the best tagline for a church should be? We love what is genuine. We hate what is evil. Church, when the world looks at us, what they should see is a people that love God so much that they put away the desire to sin, to do what our, our flesh wants to, right? Paul spoke to that. He says, I don't do the things I, I should do. I do the things I shouldn't do. And I'm so conflicted because of it. But if we truly love Jesus, if we truly care about his church, if we truly care about the world that he cares about, we should do what he tells us to do and we don't do what he says you shouldn't do. We, if we're going to preach this gospel, man, let me, you know what I've learned about, about Christians on social media? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We know the right answers. I see the memes you know, we share that. I see the scripture we share. I see the nice little quotes that we share. And I don't know about you, but I share all that stuff. And then when nobody else is around, I just do whatever I want to do. And after I do it, I'm like, why did I do that, you dumb dumb? And the world sees it. And they wonder, if you aren't willing to live out the faith you proclaim, why would I ever want to be a part of it? Paul says, outdo one another. Live in, in humility. You know what that is? Humility. Uh, Rick Warren said, said the best. I know there's a lot of stuff out there about Rick Warren uh, uh, currently right now. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Purpose Driven Life, one, it was a foundational book in, in modern church life. Okay, You know one thing Rick Warren said that I love? That humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. I think if we did that, if we realized that we don't have all the answers, let me tell you, I don't like to admit to you that I don't have all the answers. I want you to think that I have all the answers. Humility is realizing I don't have all the answers. He has all the answers, so I submit in lordship to Christ. And church, let me tell you, in a church of three, four, five hundred, in a church of five thousand, in a church of three... If you think of yourself less, if you think of yourself less, I mean, I tell you what, I've heard things about the center section. <laughs> what, I don't know, I don't know what, what y'all, uh, stage or stage left section, I don't know what y'all are laughing at. I've heard things about you too, okay? <laughs> Folks, if we're all thinking of ourselves less, it allows us the time, the effort, and the energy to focus our gaze on Christ. When we realize we don't have all the answers, when we realize that, as Paul said, we are the chief of sinners. We realize that we're not all that in the bag of the proverbial bag of Doritos. We realize he is. And then we simply take what he's given us, right? Contained in scripture is everything we need to live lives of godliness. You have everything you need to put off the old person and to put on the righteousness of Christ. Paul spoke to it in Romans chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, 
Don't be conformed to this world. Church, that's the thing is that are you going to mess up? Are you, are you, are you going to do stuff? Are you going to look like the world every now and then? Yeah. But Paul says, you know, we looked at that a couple weeks ago is, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. You're going to mess up. But he says, don't be conformed to the world, be transformed. Living a life of transformation allows us as believers in Jesus to reflect the authentic and risen Christ. Everything for us, church, everything above nothing is a gift from God. If we've truly been transformed in justification and we're constantly being conformed into his likeness through sanctification, then there is, there is very little way that you and I can live with the amount of pride that we live with every day. If we've truly been changed by Christ, it changes us. And that gift is a gift from God. The clothes on your back, it's a gift from God. You may say, Pastor, I worked for it. You, you may have, but you don't deserve it. What you deserve is, is an eternity separated from God in a very real place called hell. And God, being rich in mercy, offered his son Jesus to pluck you right out of it. Everything above nothing is a gift from God. Did you know that our... our culture is, is naturally combative by nature. Like we don't just flock to unity. We, we're combative by nature. How do I, how do I know that? Well, uh, can, I, can I trigger you this morning? The 2020 election. COVID. Vaccines. Masking. I've never in my life been so simultaneously been, been yelled at by two, by two people from two opposite ends of the spectrum. I can usually identify with one of you. But I've had, I had people, when we, we opened our church back up after COVID, who were mad because we didn't require masks. Some were like, you didn't? Right? We had people that, I had people that, that physically were ill with me that, that we made a section of our church that was for social distancing and for masking. And people were mad that we did that. We're sheep capitulating and things like that. See, I have just made every one of you mad. <laughs> we are naturally combative by nature. If the last two years have taught us anything, it's this, and I can tell y'all that, that, that if, if I were to stand up here and tell some of y'all that today is Sunday, you would have to go to your phone and check to, to verify. This is the point in the sermon where some of y'all start to cut your eyes over at someone across the room that you feel like really needs to listen to the sermon. And it's probably for you. It is. That's what I love about being the interim pastor. I could just say that. Look at verse 9. He, he, calls us, he calls the church out here. He says, let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. In essence, he, he's commanding them here to go against their natural instinct and live the way that Christ lived and to love the way that Christ loved. And that love, 1 Corinthians 13, that gets read at every single wedding on the planet, I know because I've done most of them. That love is not a love for a husband and wife. Love is patient, it's kind, it's not self-seeking, it's not rude, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, always hopes, always protects. 
always defends, it never fails. The Greek word there is agape. It is literally describing Christ's love for us. So when, when, when Paul speaks about our love being genuine, it means you don't keep record of wrongs. It means that if someone, someone strikes you, you turn the other cheek and that ain't easy. If you love Jesus, you'll love the brothers. That's, that's the new law. That's the newest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you show love? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 13. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints. You're doing that. Matt was just up here telling us about all the things that, that, that as you are faithful and obedient to give, all the things that God, that, that God does with your obedience. The Greek word there for contribute is often associated with financial support. So for some of you guys in the church, that's something you're good. Like you are the shirt off your back guy. Keep doing it. You're showing the love of Christ and show hospitality to one another in community. That's why you don't just come in and sit for church on Sunday and then leave. That's why there are on-campus groups and there are off-campus groups. Because if, if, if the, the first church taught us anything, it is that, that in Acts chapter 2 that they sold off all their possessions. They lived in community with one another. It wasn't about what they wanted. It was about what they could do together, showing hospitality, loving those who are in need, showing mercy upon those who are hurting. Church, that is what we are here for. If we weren't here for that, we would already be in heaven with Jesus and the, and the Father. But here we are because we have the opportunity to, to love and to live lives of authenticity. But also he calls us to live counterculturally. Look at verses 14 and 15. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That goes against everything our culture says should be the way we handle things. That you are owed something. That you deserve something. You know, can I be just truthfully honest with you? I already have. And I have the microphone. So here we go. You don't deserve anything. Neither do I. Man, not one amen. I don't, I don't blame you. I wouldn't have done it either. We deserve hell and eternal separation from God. Thank God we didn't receive what we deserved. That we received mercy and grace from Christ. The mantra of our society comes from that great theologian, Freddie Mercury. Lead singer of Queen, who said, I want it all. Oh, I want it all. I want it all. Finish, finish it with me, church. And I... And I want it now. Y'all heathens listen to rock music. What are y'all doing? How dare you? I'm not going back to that church. They quote rock music. So what does Paul do? Paul encourages the church to set aside the things of the flesh. Put away that desire. We, we live in this self-gratification culture, don't we? Paul says, get rid of all that. Set aside those things. Bless those who persecute you. How much fun is that? Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So let's talk about that first. Paul calls on, on us to bless those who persecute. Whether it's in your job, you're wearing a Christian t-shirt, 
Maybe you were not a believer. You were going to, maybe you're old enough, you're going to Queen concerts. And then all of a sudden, you realize that Chris Tomlin was the way to go. I don't know. I still, I still listen to Queen. I don't know. Friends have turned their back on you because you've chosen to follow Christ. Maybe your spouse has decided, you know what, I didn't sign up for this. And they've walked away. The natural inclination for us, that proclivity to lash out, Paul says, you've been given grace to fight that natural inclination. Now, you bless those who persecute. Can we just drop the ranks for a moment? How many of y'all, let's, 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 get, let's do audience participation this morning. Online, I want you to do it too. How many of y'all, when someone hurts you, your first desire is to lash back out, them and t- out at them and tell them everything you've wanted to tell them for years and years and years? All right, so there's about 30 honest people and the rest of y'all need to come to the altar. Okay. <laughs> My mama told me once, in a dark place when people were talking about me, things that were not true. She said, son, living well is the best vengeance. That when we live like Christ, when we truly believe the Lord, when he says, vengeance is mine, it ain't yours. We believe that those, when we bless those who persecute, literally you heap coals on their head. The last church, when someone persecutes, the last thing they want to do is see you living well. But then rejoice with those who rejoice. What about when, the, when things that people rejoice over are hard for you? My wife and I have, have for the last, well, we've been married for 17 years. Um, I guess for the majority of that, she and I have walked through infertility. And uh, we are now licensed foster care workers and praying the Lord brings the right kids to our home. You know, can I, can, I, can I be honest with you? You know what the hard part is? When people we love come to us and tell us they're pregnant. I want to be excited. But then there's that part of me that's like, yeah, great, congratulations. Because we've been, they, they have the very thing we want so unbelievably badly. But yet, Scripture doesn't say rejoice with those who rejoice when it's convenient for you. It doesn't say weep with those who weep when it fits into your schedule. It says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Because church, that is counterculture to everything our society tells us to do. And this church is why we need the gospel. This is why we need the power of a transformed mind. This is why we need the Holy Spirit to make us different. We need hearts that are saturated with grace so that we can live out the instructions included in this passage. And so we live counterculturally, live so the world sees a difference and asks us what's different about us. Give them a reason to question you. Why do you have this hope? Peter says, be prepared to give an adequate defense for the hope that you have in Christ. And the best thing to do when the world asks is to give them Jesus. And so how do we give them Jesus? We're very running short on time. We give them Jesus by living in unity. Disunity is so easy. 
Right? Look at verse 16. He says, uh, he says live in harmony with one another. Man, that's, what's that? that's uh, two, four. That is six words. Live in harmony with one another. Okay, let's do it. Okay, we're just going to live in unity. Let's pray and go home. This unity is so easy. I'm an only child. I don't know if you've picked up on that yet. I don't know why you're laughing. It's not funny. I want my way. I've always been given my way. I want it my way. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw a tantrum when I don't get my way. You say, Pastor, that didn't happen in church. Bull. It for certain does. There's a book that was written. It's called Well-Intentioned Dragons. And Well-Intentioned Dragons combats uh, verse 16. There are people that are within, and it's, it's uh, the, the subtitle of it, and maybe our staff need, needs to read it, maybe not, um, is this, that it's, uh, it's well-intentioned dragons dealing with difficult people in ministry. Sometimes you have people that are willing to break the unity because they love the church so much and they're so convinced that they are, that this is the way the church should go, that they act out in order to transform the church into what they feel it should be. Sometimes it's over how people dress. Sometimes it's over the version of the Bible that you read from. Sometimes it's over the style of the music or whether there are lights on the stage or whatever it happens to be. And as a pastor, sometimes I want to get angry with them and like say, you don't know. God calls us to love, love those people. And look, they're, they're there in the church, but you know what? They deeply love the church. And God has not told us that we're allowed to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, and to love the unlovable when it's convenient for us. Back in 20, 2006, I was able to visit, um, 2007, excuse me, I was able to visit San Antonio. The Southern Baptist Convention was going on out there. And while my family was out there, we went on the river walk and did, did several things. We also got to go visit the Alamo. I don't know if we have a photo of the Alamo uh, that's up there. Um, yeah, that's the Alamo right there. I don't know if you, if you know much about the Alamo, but, but if you haven't, there's a John Wayne movie, go watch it, okay? It's very good. Um, and quite almost historically accurate. And so uh, the, the idea was that, that in the battle for, uh, for uh, Texan independence, um, Mexico was, was, was invading and, and, and there was this battle. And what happened was that, that the people um, who were fighting this battle, were, they all got into the Alamo and they, 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 they cram into the Alamo. And this is where they're going to make their last stand. And the last cry that you hear from them is, is remember the Alamo. And what we remember, I, I don't know if you remember what the, what the Alamo re, is remembered for, but it's remembered as a battlefield. But I don't know if you knew that the Alamo started out in San Antonio as a church. Steve Foster once said that the Alamo it started as a church. It ended up as a battlefield. And when my, my family and I were there in 2007, it, was a, it, was, it, it had become a museum. Steve Foster says there are a lot of churches that have become much the same. Because they broke unity. What Fort Caroline Baptist Church needs today is a group of people. Because the church is not a building. The church is you who is sitting in the chairs this morning. It's those of you that are following along with us online. That are a part of body life. 
if we want to keep from being a battlefield, because what happens when churches become battlefields, they become museums. Empty buildings that speak of all the good things that people did in the past. Can I tell you this morning? Church, God has great things for Fort Caroline Baptist. But we must live in unity together. I want, I want to ask you to do something as we move forward. Give up your right to be right. Seek the Lord's face together. Live in unity. So when the world comes to, to us and when we go to the world, they can say those people live whatever gospel it is they preach, they live it. And let's glorify Christ together today. Father, we love you and we praise you. As we go to life groups this morning, I pray, God, that we would live in community, that we would do great things for your glory and for our good. We pray these things in his name. Amen.